if we don't do it as a team, then we'll, we're going to fall apart. That was the beginning of putting the 2010 team together. That meant success for Gary Smith. Found myself inside the six. If we're creating an 8 one I don't know. I just slipped it towards the goal. He's going to slide in for sure. Hello, Colorado Rapids fans. This is Holding the High Line with Rabbi and Red. My name is Matt Pollard, and this is the second episode of Memories from Toronto, the story of the 2010 Colorado Rapids. On this episode, we speak to the first Japan-born player in MLS history, Kosuke Kimura. For a stoic Asian man, he's got plenty of opinions about players and coaches from the 2010 season, and not just Omar Cummings. Get ready for wild stories about how he annoyed an embassy and gamed the SAT to get into college soccer, how he became one of the best right backs of his time in MLS, and that time he and Quincy Ameriqua bought a boat. Heads up, Kosuke says a few bad words during this interview. They start about 58 minutes from now. I thought about bleeping them out or removing them, but hearing Kosuke try to imitate Pablo Mastroeni saying a word that starts with the letter F during extra time of the MLS Cup final was just too genuine to leave out. You have been warned. Can I have you start by saying your name and what your position was with the Rapids? My name is Kosuke Kimura. Play for Colorado Rapids. My position was defender, right back, right pullback. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, Japan had a lot of sports. Obviously, there's the traditional sports that they had growing up, and then baseball was very popular. Um, and then, you know, you were 14 by the first time, you know, Samurai Blue played in a World Cup. What drew you to soccer, and did you play any other sports? So, definitely, my, uh, my father played soccer when he was in junior high school and high school a little bit. And then, uh, that time when I was about, how old was I? Probably seven. Around seven or nine, seven, eight, around years old, uh, J League started. Mm. So that was a really big one. And I was playing soccer already, you know, just kicking the ball around with my older brother and our old brother's friends and my dad. So then the league started and that's the only thing that I watch on TV every day. You know, they just started. So they really hyped that, you know, professional soccer league going. So I watched that, you know, every weekend and I really loved it. And then, you know, without knowing it, I was just chasing a soccer ball every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, was Kawasaki your favorite team? Is that why you decided to, you wanted to go to their academy? So actually the two Kawasaki teams, that time the team that I went to academy for, they didn't have that team yet. So I played for, I, I wanted to play for Kawasaki, Veldi Kawasaki. Mm-hmm. But then obviously that's a top team. And then it was like, you know, 10 minutes away from my house, the stadium was and all that. But I went for the tryout, but I, I didn't make it when I was in elementary school, right? Right, right before going to junior high school, I couldn't make it. So then I just started playing for junior high school team. And then the new team came in, which is Kawasaki from Thailand, which is almost right next to them, right? So then when I was 14 years old, I went for the open tryout and then I made 
academy team. And then that's how I joined the Kawasaki Firm Tower. Uh, what made you decide that you wanted to come to the United States and pursue your education? So I was going to go pro. I started training with the first team when I was 15. Every other weekend I was playing reserve league. I was 15 years old and I was start training with the first team because I was, I was not tall, but I was faster than most of the kids and around my age. I was faster than already. 18, 17 old guys. They told me that, you know, I'm in the right track to go pro. But, uh, I actually broke, I had a stress fracture on my left fifth metatarsal. And that time the surgery was not really great. It was like 50 50 chance of, you know, you heal properly or not. Mm-hmm. So I didn't have a surgery. That was like when I was 16 years old. And then I stopped completely playing soccer for 10 months. I was captain of the team. I'll try to organize as much as possible. And I try to help my players as much as possible, but I couldn't play for 10 months. Right. And then when I became senior and I started playing again for the first team and I thought I have a chance to go pro. And then I, we, we went to national tournament as well as like fourth year or third year being academy, you know, for the team. Right. But couldn't make it because my first team went to Division Two. When they didn't to Division Two, it's uh around that time was that was a huge drop comes to endorsement, endorsement with the sponsorship coming in, all the money coming in. Mm-hmm. So decide they decided to not sign anybody that year since they went to Division Two. And they get rid of a lot of players, first team. And they just again loan players or cheaper players from Division Two, ex- ex- experienced players that have been playing Division Two. So then, that time in Japan, if you don't go pro after high school, it was most likely you're not gonna go pro. And that was, it was hard for me because almost one year I missed it. Right, I was like, you know, I had so much fuel in me, I had so much energy in me, but I had to almost decide just go to college and just maybe play for college me hopefully you go pro after college but just like i said that time almost like no chance going pro from mm-hmm. college to pro so then i actually met uh the sports medicine guy while i was injured he went to america and studied and then you know he got licensed and sports medicine and all that and i'm like okay that's interesting maybe you know something that Maybe I can, you know, get education, education about. And then I look for it in Japan. There's no really one college that had that program that time. And they didn't have a good soccer team either. So I almost have to choose either go for, you know, go play soccer. But then most of the time, those school that you go to, you don't get really good education, right? Because you are too busy with the soccer. Mm-hmm. You don't have much time for schooling. So like you kind of <clears> take classes and all that but i didn't want to do that but the other way around was going in a you know specific college for like two years and get a license but i want to play soccer so bad but my best friend who played uh, soccer with me for the kawasaki Ontario academy he went to american high school in japan which is really really expensive that's another level private international school but he went there and he graduated from it he spoke french Japanese English at age of 18. 
and he told me he's going to US. And I'm like, how, you just, how can you do that? Just like that, oh, oh, I send my video, me playing, and I get recruited by college coach. And I'm getting a full scholarship, so I don't have to pay for education for four years. I'm like, what? And I'm like, I, I, I asked him, okay, what is the process to get there? And he's like, well, Koski, you have to speak English. Well, obviously, never spoken till that, you know, never learned really English, basic English that you learn in high school, which is nothing. Mm-hmm. Never about speaking or listening anything. But then I told my dad that I think this is it. There's no way I'm going to go in a European country to go for tryout. I'm 18 years old, never play pro. It's going to be hard for me, you know, with the senior international roster and all that. But maybe if I go college in the U.S., because my best friend told me he has a chance to go pro in America after after college, that's like, that's that's a norm. You know, that's a normal, you know. There's less chance of going pro from high school. So I'm like, all right, Dad, I think I'm going to I'm going to go for this. You know, then I start making the videos of me playing soccer at that time. No YouTube, no nothing. So I made a VHS highlight videos, <laughs> over 30 of them, edited it, you know. Then I start contacting college coaches in the U.S. The college had a Division One soccer team at the same time, like sports medicine, athletic training, or sports medicine program. So I can study sports medicine. I went to American Embassy to ask for more information, but that was after 9-11 happened. Mm-hmm. So no one was welcome to go to American Embassy. So I asked them, so why can't I get more information? You know, they didn't have a website that time. So they told me to go to this library that owned by American Embassy in the middle of Tokyo. So I went there every day and I found this book had all the information about universities and college in the U.S., right? So then they told me, okay, if you go to this page, you can see which school has Division One soccer program, what kind of program they have, what kind of education program they have. So I went through every single Division One school in, in the U.S., over 200, I don't know how many. Then they had to have sports medicine program at the same time Division One soccer team. So then I found over 50, 60 of them. But then after that, I have to start checking uh, tuition, international student tuition. So right away, 30 of them went, no chance. So now I had a 20, little bit 20 left probably. And then I start sending email. You know, I got sick that time they have email. So I start sending email with a broken English. And then some college coaches they start email back to me okay that's why could you send me you know send us videos so then i start sending it and then a lot of college coaches they're like okay you got something that we don't have you know you'll be valuable but then the problem was the next step was everybody so you speak english right i'm like no i don't i was like oh sorry then you can't come to college and then i'm like okay here's the thing i will take english test the standard english test which is TOEFL. Or I'll come, I'll come to US right now, study English, and maybe I can get into college in, in August. That time was already January, uh, December. Right? I didn't have much time. But they said, well, there's no way that you can just learn English within nine months or so and come into college and start studying. It's impossible. 
but no, Michael Wall, you never know. You never know till I try, you know? Immigrant mentality. Yeah, but sorry, son. Like, that's great that you have a such tenacious, you know, the mentality and all that, but it's not going to happen. Maybe you have to wait for another year or two. I'm like, I have no time. I'm Asian. But the Muslim coaches stopped talking to me. And then, but still, I had a four or five colleges, but one of the colleges which I ended up going, my coach from Western Illinois University, he sent me an email. Okay. Here's the thing. You have to come in. You have to come here first, right? I don't think he, I, I asked him, I think after a while back, I think he had no idea. Actually, I'm going to come, right? But he, I told him, okay. He's saying, I need a paperwork so I can ask for student visa, right? But then he did that for me right away. And then I got the paperwork and everything. I took that to the American Embassy. But then again, after 9-11, they said, like, no, well, we can't get this. We can't approve this. We have you no know, accepting this, this paperwork. No, nothing right now. I'm like, okay, I'm going to send you over the mail, physical mail. And could you go over and you can maybe give me a visa? It's like a son, there's no way we can issue a visa because after this 9-11 happened, all the process is so strict coming from other countries to going to the U.S. So you have to wait for another six months. And I, I emailed back to my coach and he said like, well, here's the thing. You have to come in in here because we have an English, English, like second language program that you can go into. If you pass that, class you can get into my college and then you can play for my school but then i told him i have to wait for six months to get a visa to be approved but then he goes well then it's not gonna happen even though you have paperwork so then from that day i start calling american embassy every day till they pick up the phone but they never pick up so i start sending the fax every day in the morning and in the afternoon twice a day every day for a couple weeks but they obviously never respond back to me. But I told them many times on the facts, I have all the paperwork. Now I am, I, I am, I'm ready to go. I'm about to buy a ticket and I should be, I'm good to go. And they finally, they send me a fax and they saying that please stop sending and please stop calling. But well, here's the thing. If you pay 10, if you pay thousand dollars right now, we can make the process faster. And we can get you in a visa in two weeks. And I told them straight up again, that fax back right away. Sorry, I know you told me no fax, but I don't have the money. $1,000, that's impossible for me as an 18-year-old guy or 17-year-old at that time. I have no money to spend. I have no nothing, you know? But then I, then I keep sending the fax, and then they finally issue me a visa after a week later that. They say no more nothing, but yes. This is it. Then you can go. So I got a visa. My mom took all the savings and then he, she bought me a ticket. Then, then I ended up going. And then I landed in Peoria, middle of nowhere in Illinois. And then there's somebody I, I have to pay a lot of money. They, somebody from college, he came down to pick me up. And then I went to, I got into the, you know, campus. And I took the test, placement test, and they told me I had, they, it will take me a year to graduate. But then I told my teacher, my coach told me I have a time till September, that's it. And there's, well, she's like, okay, 
will give you lots of homework and lots of assignments and all that. As long as you pass it, you can get, you can go, right? So I took all the extra, extra class and extra stuff, and then I done it. And I was, they told me that I'm going to graduate before August. So then at least I did that. But then coach told me that I have to take a SAT test, which I didn't know anything about. And as he told, I thought that was some kind of fitness test or something to get in the soccer team. But then I, I found out that's actually a stand, you know, standard test that you have to take to get into college. In order to play for NCAA Division One. he told me I have to get it and I have to get over 950 points or something or a school or something. And that time was 1600 was maximum point, maximum points. But then I started studying for English. I had no idea what's going on. I had no idea what's written on that because I never studied English till then, till that time, you know, nothing. I I had no idea. I brought my dictionary, little tiny electronic dictionary from Japan. No words on the test. It's not even on the dictionary. Mm-hmm. So then now I'm like, okay, I just spent $150 to, to buy this dictionary. It's not even on all the English words because, you know, I guess it's old English that they don't really use anymore or whatever. So then I told my coach, or then that I finally went my coach because, you know, he was in a, in a little break or whatever and he was busy and then all that. I didn't see him for like two weeks after I got there. And he couldn't believe I was there, first of all. I told him, I'm Kosuke. I'm here, coach. You know, and he's he just start basting up, laughing so hard. Oh my God, you're here. <laughs> you're actually here. <laughs> you know, then you speak a little English. I'm like, yes, yes. And then by, you know, he got happy and all that. But yeah, you got to focus on testing that. But in SAT, I found out if I wrote my name down for English test, they give me 200 points. If I don't make any mistakes, I secure 200 points. So, okay, wait for a second. If I get almost maximum 800 points from math and 200 from English, writing my name down, I get 1,000 points. There's a way that I can pass this test. I can maybe get it close to 1,000 so I can go over 950. So, in a test day, I slept over three and a half hours English test. I didn't do anything for English. I didn't even touch anything. I didn't even read anything. I wrote my name down to every single page and I left it. And then I did a math. I, I found 10 different SAT books, thick books from library. I found a pattern of SAT math test. They recycled same problems over and over, but they change numbers. Mm-hmm. My problem was understanding the problem. But if I already knew the problem, all I got to do is just plug in the numbers. It's way easier and way faster for me to understand. So I memorized a lot of patterns of 10 years of worth SAT. And then I did it. And then I got almost 95% correction for uh, math. And I got like a little over 950 or something. And, and that's I, how you got into college at Western Illinois. Yeah. And I, I gave to, I gave, I gave the test results to my, t- my, my coach's coach couldn't, he, he couldn't believe. Cause you know how many years these guys, they study to get this test and, you know, get decent points for math. I'm like, 
world coach and the number is universal you know all i knew all i had to do was just study studying and try to memorize a pattern he goes what are you talking about pattern well coach i i took 10 years worth of sat test and a math test and over and over i don't know how many times i did but i found the pattern they just recycled the problem he goes are you serious you've done that within the last two months you've done that i'm like well, yeah, coach, you told me I have to do it in order to get into college. And they're like, oh, Mark, well, Koski, that's great. You're good to go. But then he's like, well, Koski, just come, come, come train, you know, come train and whatever, and then see what you can do. And I went in and I, they plan like, they plan like a little game in an indoor, like ABA in an indoor, indoor field. And I, I met another guy from Kuwait happened happened to be he, he played for U Kuwaiti national U eighteen Kuwaiti national team or something. And he was really good. And then I asked him, Are you gonna try out for the soccer team? Like, yeah, because I'll go with you. So me and him went and they play against uh, we were playing for like a second team. We play against first team. I scored three goals, my friend scored two goals, and then we won six one. And the coach goes, oh, my God, I can't believe you guys are welcome. They did like he's like, well, Koski, I, I didn't know how much you can do. You know, I can't tell from video, but I didn't know. But then the other guy, same thing. He's got this guy was six to one fastest on another level. So skillful. And he was just there because his mom got divorced or whatever. And he had she had to move out to America. And this school was the only school that, you know, she could afford. And then, but me and him, we couldn't get scholarship first year because we were too late. But then I told my coach, I'm like, coach, I have only one year. I can't afford, it. you know, my dad is helping me. I'm doing a part time and I'm, I'm paying for it. I can maybe pay for one year. I have to get scholarship. But then after the first year, we went to conference final which they never done before. We went to conference final and then we lost in the PK. Uh, then coach gave me and my friend are both, you know, almost like full scholarship for the tuition. Mm-hmm. Right. And they ended up staying there. But then that's, yeah, that's how I came to us. Wow. <laughs> Complicated story. Um, so as you kind of talked about learning uh, English and that being a little bit difficult, I read somewhere that you spend uh, some days ten hours a day learning English. Is that about right? Oh yeah. Oh, that time that during that period of like you know English school every day, I didn't talk to anybody. I just immersed myself in English and then try to talk to like you know people living in my dome, you know. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's it. I, I I couldn't do anything else. I play soccer here and there. But my focus was to just get into college first because otherwise you can't play. Yeah. Um, uh, as I'm sure you're aware now, some English and Scottish accents can be a little bit difficult even for Americans to understand. Did you have any issues with, uh, either the accents or some of their words with, uh, Gary Smith and Jamie Smith? Oh, yeah, definitely, definitely, definitely. But the, the one thing that helped me out was when I was living in Dome, we had a two exchange students from England. So, you know, I, I, they told me English as well. So I, I, I was kind of, you know, it was, it's not normal, but you know, I was kind of hearing that accent already. So it helped me out. Okay, good. Um, 
Let's fast forward to the 2009 season. You know, the team is in competition for the playoffs and then the Rapids end up losing to RSL on the final game of the season. That gets them into the playoffs and, uh, you know, you guys finish out. You don't make the playoffs. What do you remember about that season? And, you know, were there any lessons learned on what you guys needed to do better? I'm never going to forget those moments, right? And some moments that it just in like curved to your brain. Like I still clearly remember. I think that was home, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was home. I knew all we gotta get tie, and we, I think it was, we were tied that time. But then towards the end, I think Espinosa, somebody, you know, it's just just one of those balls just slipped in, you know, then he was just there to score, you know. And we had a major, you know, problem with coaching staff. No major, but, you know, it was transaction, you know, they changing. It was Kravi who was there and, you know, all that. And it was changing. And then Gary's, Gary took over and all that, you know, and a lot of uh, players that we had, like good players, but older players, you know, but we, we are fighting, we are fighting that year to get to the playoff. But then again, it comes into the last game, right? I think we played and I think we thought we got it, right? It's just a mental game. Cause, okay, a couple minutes left. We are tied. One, one, we, we're going to go, we're going to go playoff. And, but that time, I think it's so late. They already knew, or they maybe sniff, you know, okay, they're gonna, the Rapids just gonna bank it down. They're just gonna be parking a bus. We're just gonna keep attacking. We're just gonna, you know, keep kicking long ball to see what happens. And they, exactly that's what happened. Right? Oh, definitely killed everybody, you know, mentally. It was tough season, long season. And it comes into the last game. We were just right there, you know, in our hands. We could control it, but we couldn't. And we, and then we couldn't, and we couldn't win it, you know, we lost it. And that, that game was definitely painful. And then the entire offseason, uh, I was thinking about the game, you know, but then definitely it gave us more power or energy for the next year. Mm-hmm. Uh, one of that key acquisitions right before the season started was uh, Marvell Wynn. Talking about your relationship with him on and off the field. Definitely, he's uh, one of the best defender that I play with. I, I was fortunate enough to play with a lot of uh, good defenders, and he's definitely one of the best defenders that I play with. He's just a f- physical attribute. It was unreal. You know, I was quick. I know I was quick and I can, I, I don't get beat. But this guy, there's no way. If you take one step close to him, you can tell. Like, this is some, something that you start gaining as a player, right? Like, like in Japan, you know, it's, it's called, we call Mawai. Mawai means that there's something that around the player, right? Around the person has that. The range, right? Once you get close to that range, you're done. That once you get into his range, you 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 can't control that range, right? Marvel's range was so big because simply he's a 
physical attribute. His athleticism was no one's near it. You know, I had two players, Ugo Himelu and Olave, two are close to uh, Marvel, but Marvel was more focused, more, more control, everything he did, right? Some way, like, and, and like a lot of people, maybe he's not in control, but since he's so powerful and strong, right? And he's not that tall, right? But then it, it just, he can do a lot of things, just purely his athleticism. No players, even like they talk about that time, probably Dominico Duro, bunch of fast guys. I know what fast players are, right? Hugo and Olave was fast too, but Marvel was another level. You can tell how strong he is, and then once you get close to his range, it's over. Mm-hmm. You will have it. Once you, once she has a hand on you, once you have a little close to you, and it's game over. You can't no get away. Or you better think, okay, turn back and pass the ball back, mm-hmm. right? You can try, but then I always had that feeling on my back. All right, that's the reason why in Colorado I was attacking so much more than any other team because I already had that, right? You know, really thinks to Marvel, you know, I mean, that's what happens, you know, in a professional career. You have to be lucky sometime here and there. And I was so fortunate to have that, you know, somebody like him right next to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I felt so strong, you know, so was other players as well. But having him on my side, on the left side, it was definitely giving me another level of comfort. Yeah. And then I guess on that note, similar to having Marvell, you know, to your side, in some cases, a little bit behind you, if you're further upfield, how much confidence did you guys have given the caliber of player Mike, uh, Matt Pickens was in goal? Oh, man. I already knew, you know, most of that, you know, I mean, he's big to start with, but he can move as well. You know, like, I don't, I don't see that. Like in my, in my country, in Japan, everybody's quick, everybody's short, but you never seen a big guy can move that much. Right. I play with him again, like recently till, you know, last year, he was still in a top form. He takes over his body, right? He's so professional, right? And he's on it every time off the field, on the field, right? He's so determined and everything. And, you know, by having a Marvel and then other players, you know, Drew as well, Drew more as well, you know, and then you have a Matt behind. I mean, you can't ask more than that, you know. Our job is to make sure he doesn't touch the ball with the hands. He doesn't have to make that save. But when that happens, I know he's there for us, right? He, I already, We already knew that he's going to make something. He's not gonna let the easy goal get in, and he's gonna he's gonna make those big saves, you know, mm-hmm. when we need. And he did that time to time. You missed, uh, I think, the first six games of the 2010 season with a stress fracture. Um, how did that impact your season? And I know the the team started off, um, you know, well. How were they doing coping without you? I mean, in the end, we had a really good group of guys, right? Like Gary brought. Gary's really, really keen to bring players with a strong heart, mental, mental strength, and the, you know, just a professionalism, right? We had that bunch of players just like all around in our field and our locker, our locker room, you know? So even though I wasn't playing, I already knew that, you know, I was comfortable, right? Anybody could get in to help us, 
you know, and everybody was just working hard every day, you know, playing for each other. You know, that was the, that was the locker room that we had. You know, that was, you know, and that was that was the reason why we won that cup that year. You know, but then I was definitely comfortable with those guys out there. You know, me not playing, but I always felt comfortable that we're gonna get something done in the game. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of uh, this is kind of an interesting thing that I've I've thought about now. Going back and looking at some of your old footage, I think if we were to compare that to say what the modern fullback has been, you know, you, you what you were in 2010 wasn't that different from what fullbacks are right now. There are a lot of things that, you know, you did with that Rapids team that aren't different from, say, Alexander Arnold um, at Liverpool or even some of the modern fullbacks um, that we see in MLS now. Um, you know, uh, you know, your thoughts on kind of being maybe uh, a modern fullback and being a little bit different from fullbacks, other fullbacks in MLS at that time that made you such a valuable and difficult uh, player to deal with for opponents. Yeah, I always, uh, so the reason why I had a number 27, I always told myself to, till age of 27, I want to make something big, right? So I kept the 27. And a two is a fullback, seven is a winger. I always told myself I'm going to play two positions, always, right? That's my mentality, right? If I can play two positions at the same time, maybe one, my team will be 12 players for one moment, probably. You know, that was my mentality that I always had, you know. So I asked Gary all the time, like, I'm going to go up. I'm going to go up. I'm going to attack as long as I'm, I'm able to come back. And he told me the coach, as long as you can come back. Mm-hmm. So you can come, go back. You can you can go attack. right? But at the same time, my mentality was if I go up, the opponent team, the winger, have to come, come back with me to defend me, right? And that's my mind game that I'm going to play every game against the player. I'm going to make sure he doesn't touch the ball and he's going to do more work defensively than offensively, right? So then I can get into his head all the time. And then when I play him next time, again, 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 right? I'm just going to keep doing that because it's going to help me defending defending as well, you know? So I always had the mind of attacking is always the best def- defending, you know? So that's that's why I always force myself and just get fitter than anybody else and, you know, try to make that moment maybe one player even more, you know. So that, that was my game plan always. That's that's how I attack the game. And, you know, the, all those good players that I watched growing up, the fullbacks, they know just the fullbacks, right? They, they can defend and they can attack. That's why they play the position, you know, because they can do both. And nowadays, if you watch DZ Night and all that, I've been saying it for a long time. Good players play those positions because you have more time to get the ball facing forward. You know, you can, when you, when you have that, when you, when you have in that position, you have a little more time and you can manipulate the game a little bit better than some other players. Cause simply you can, you can manipulate the moment, right? Cause simply you get the ball more often facing forward and you can choose those better passes in that position. So I think I did touch more than anybody else in 2010 and 2011, more than anyone else in the entire MLS. My touch was more than anybody else, you know? So, yeah, I always wanted to get on the ball, you know, because I played in college and high school. I played everywhere. 
you know, but I was comfortable on the ball always. I want, I just wanted to be on the ball. So, yeah. So then normally in Gary Smith's system, you know, you would get forward and at least one of your common passes or one of the ones that was set up a lot for the team was uh, Omar Cummings. Tell me about, uh, you know, him as a player and your guys' relationship. Well, the, the, the funniest thing is that game, Gary told me, don't attack. And I'm like, why? After the team meeting, he's like, Koske, come on, I need to talk to you. I'm like, what's up, Gary? Koske, you can't go up today. I'm like, Gary, what are you talking about? I've been attacking. That's why we got this point. Why I'm changing right now? I'm not going to change how I play. I'm going to keep attacking. He goes, Koske, you are marking, uh, what's his name? Uh, Combi. Bobby Combi. Yeah, Bobby's, you, you marking him. He's just scored two goals against New York. He's one of the best players that they have and the most dangerous player. You got to stay with him no matter what. But Gary, again, I got here. We got here because of how I played. I'm not going to change it today. I'm going to go attack and I'm going to make him defense so he's not going to attack. You can watch the game again. Bobby couldn't attack. Because he's an honest guy too. He, he works hard too. He was following me. He tried to mark me as well. You know, but then playing at home will the altitude advantage. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to keep doing it. Right? I'm going to keep whipping across and I'm going to keep attacking and see what happens. And that, that day, you know, I just got the ball. I know it was raining, it was slick. So I was, I, my, my aim was just keep whipping the ball in there and see what happens. Right? And I got the ball and I had a chance to whip it. And I just, I just whipped it towards the goal. And Omar made a really good run. You know, me and Omar, there was a little, we had a little unique, uh, relationship for sure. Because, uh, when we, when we got drafted, we had probably seven, eight guys that drafted. And I was nobody because I didn't go to one of the best college, you know, big college. So I was in a supplemental draft. And me and Omar, we never played game. We only play maybe, I don't know. Probably 45 minutes max in the preseason, you know? And then me and him, we just almost like a ball boy, right? We didn't really do much training, you know? And then he and then when we play, we play like this is going to be our last game that we're going to play, organized soccer, right? That's a, we had the mentality every day. And then, you know, he came from Jamaica with nothing like, like me, came from Japan, nothing. And then we in a similar circumstance, right? You know, situation that we have to go through, and then you know, is is such a great guy too. You know, we got we got close right away, right? We went in dinner every day, cook dinner every day, start living together. You know, help each other as much as possible. You know, at time we had seven eight guys in our apartment, just simply people couldn't live. You know, mm-hmm. all my me, we just try to, you know, offer up the place because we knew, you know, the stuff that we've been through. Right. When I went to college, same thing. I didn't have anything. I didn't know anybody. A lot of people welcomed me in and stuff. I didn't have no money to eat in college. So a lot of people start cooking for me and all that. And I always had in my mind, you know, if I get in a better situation, I'm going to do that to others too, you know? And then Oma always had the mentality, similar mentality always. So at that time we had like seven, eight guys, like try out guys come in, like stay in our apartment for two weeks. They have no money either. So we provide the food. You know, we just, uh, everything we did, we didn't even talk, we didn't have to even talk about it. You know, it's just, we understand each other, 
like so well and we didn't have to really talk about anything you know we just understood each other and then when we start playing together it's same thing you know we always try to, yeah, Koski, let's, you know, our goals are not just here, right? It's great that we're going to play for Rapids forever, maybe, but, you know, maybe we just keep pushing each other and then maybe we, something comes up, you know? And then that's why we keep fighting, fighting every day, training together. In the morning, we go there early, train together now before training and train with the team, being a ball boy for first team, don't touch the ball, you know? And this after training is over, me and him and just stayed every day. Every day, hours, and just weightlifting, more touches, you know. So then that moment was definitely a special moment for me. You know, Gary told me, don't attack, and I attack, and I create a goal, and and Omar was on the end of it, right? That was just a highlight of, like, us being together, you know, going through all the struggles, and, you know, it was it was definitely a special moment, you know. And then that, that goal took us to the final. Mm-hmm. Um, so I've, I've heard this story. I don't, I, I might get you in trouble here, Kosuke. Um, I've heard this story from a couple of people. I've read a couple of articles, but nobody's actually quoted it. So I want to know if you're willing to talk about it. Um, did you and Omar buy a fishing boat and park it in the stadium parking lot? Yes. We, oh, no, me and Quincy, actually. Okay. Yeah. Me and Quincy. We had a fishing boat in that parking lot for a while. Okay. <laughs> Uh, where'd you guys end up moving the the fishing boat, or did it stay in the at the stadium oh, no, forever? Out of like nothing, literally like two hundred dollars with him, everything, right? He gave us. I don't know how he even gave us the two hundred dollars. I guess he had another boat. I mean, I don't know. But then I think it ended up giving to uh, the one of the groundsmen that time when he was working there. He said he's going to like uh, hunting and all that. He uses. I'm like, you know, I'm like I don't care. Okay, okay. <laughs> you yeah. got the boat for two hundred dollars, so he can have the he can have the boat when you. Yeah, but we use it for like you know going up in lake fishing and all that, so it was good. Where did you guys fish, and what did you usually catch? So there's some places you can take the boat in, and some places not because you know all those uh, you know in the Colorado is like a national you know state park and all that. They have a huge. It's protected, yeah. Yeah, regulations and all that. So we had some time wait two three weeks to do quarantine the boat and all that so we took to the place that you just you can get the boat in you know but most of the time we fished it a lot of different lakes around there i can't even remember the names anymore but yeah we went different kinds of lakes uh, it was it was fun for sure okay and then i also heard at one point you guys were getting yelled at by stadium security for having the boat in there and then you ended up hiding it in the stadium is that true well i I think they told us not, and then the groundskeeper guy said he can keep in other place, and that I think that's what ended up happening. Okay. Yeah. So they dealt. They did told us, like, yeah, you can't keep it. I'm like, me and Quincy's like, well, how much space do you guys need, man? You guys have so many spaces, <laughs> you never mm-hmm. use them. But then ended up they keep keeping keep the, the groundskeeper, and then I think eventually he took to his uh, his house. I think. Okay. Um. So I already talked about the San Jose game, but I want to go back and I want to talk about the two leg series with Columbus. You know, you guys totally bossed that first leg for my money. I think you could have been up, um, you know, two goals on aggregate. What do you remember about those two games? And, you know, certainly a, a, a scary and very tough second leg. I mean, definitely, you know, Columbus, 
they wanted they wanted before and they had a good group of guys, experienced players, and at Columbus, it's not easy to do, right? There's so many there are many places in the MLS. When you go there, you you feel it, right? I play in I play for Timbers as well. It's not easy there, Seattle as well, right? It, it just you feel it, you know, you sense it, right? All the fans and, and all that, right? But then the players get that vibe from them and a vibe from that place, and they get. They get confident, right? It's just the human mental nature thing that, you know, get, get into. And it definitely, you know, we're just going there to just try our best, right? And try to limit them as much as possible, like we've been doing. And then, you know, let's see what happens with like Omar, Connor, or somebody up front, Kanji, you know, me attacking, Anthony Wallace helping us attacking on the left side. You know, Jamie Smith as well. You know, we already knew we have a good, good back, back line and we have a good, great defense, defensive midfielders. You know, Pablo Mastroni and Jeff. You know, we knew that no many teams can just walk into our field in the middle of the field and then just kill us in the field. Right. So all, all we have to do was just try to get something in there and then call, call this, you know. And then it ended up in aggregate. We tied it. I think we went to PK, right? But then I was out because I was dead tired playing air almost a lot of games in the towards the end of the season. And then we were going for PK, right? I'm never going to forget. I couldn't even watch the PK. I couldn't. Especially when Connor was going to take, I couldn't even watch him because I knew exactly what he's going to do, which is a chip to goalie, right? Only he can do it. He has a nerve of like another level, thick nerve and a cold, cold nerve. Like he can just calm himself down in front of anything that he sees, right? And when he was a pro, right now he kind of he got rounded a little bit. <laughs> but when he was a pro, man, he is on the edge. You can tell he, you know, his game is has to be so good. You you cannot tell, right? I, it's not like I know Connor super well, but I, I know that he cares. I know that he has a passion, but he doesn't show that to anybody, right? But when time comes, now I can tell that, you know why he's going to do it. He's going to do it for us. He has that, you know, he he has the mentality. He has the calmness, you know? Then the, But then when time came, I I knew he's what he's gonna do, but I couldn't watch it. And but he did it, and he scored. And I'm like, yes, you know, let's go back to the home, take care of San Jose, mm-hmm. right? But then it definitely that was nerve wracking for sure. It was it was killing me, you know. But I can't control that, you know. Yeah. I knew that's that's Connor, and how many times him, Connor and Omar, right? Those two gave us so much, so much, you know, and then. If he misses, that's it. Cause he took us there too. You know, it's just, yeah, it is individual performance. It is individual PK, but in the end, you know, without him, with it, without anybody, you know, we couldn't get there. So, you know, if you miss a PK, you miss a PK, right? It's on everybody. Mm-hmm. But the fact that he didn't, if he finished it, I'm like, oh my God, this guy is, this guy is another level ice cold, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
What do you remember about playing against Eddie Gavin? You know, uh, he was a very good player for them matching up against you. You talked about, you know, wanting to make opposing wingers work. And, you know, he had a, a bit of a shout for a PK that I don't think would have been legitimate. Thank God we don't have VAR that year. <laughs> I, I know, right? I mean, he's, it was a weird feeling when I play against him. He, I couldn't, I couldn't, I couldn't tell he is caring. I couldn't tell he that he had that much passion in it, in his play, right? He's one of the Bogos player that he's good at it, right? He has a talent and he's been cruising, you know, with his talent. You know, he just had, he just knows the timing when to pass, when to dribble. He just feels it and he senses it and he executes, right? And then when I play against him, he, he, I couldn't read him, you know, cause I don't think he wasn't, the players that don't think much and he, they do it by nature, it's so hard for me, right? Because they're just so good, right? A lot of players, when you go play against good players, you know, they are so quiet, right? Their body movement is so quiet, but in, in, in their heads, they're just so clear that what they're about to do or they, they can do whatever, you know, because they have that. They have the calmness. They have the sense. They have that talent. And I always struggled to play against him because I couldn't get too close to him because I know he got long legs and he got smooth burst, right? But uh, I always, when I play, I try to limit the touches that they're going to have in the game. That's how I was after. Like right now, they have all the stats and all that. But I want to tell those stats people, oh, that's great that you have stats. But can you see the game, the stats game that I've been playing that they have no idea because they never play this game, right? Do you know how many times that the midfielder in the middle, when they get the ball, right? When they look up, do you see my movement? Every time when the player, it's different. If the midfielder is left-footed, he's so comfortable to play the ball to the left side, right? If he's right-footed player, most of 80% of my players are 80, 80 or not 85% of players play in the middle, and even more are right-footed. So it's so hard for them to play the ball, long ball, or play down the ground to their left side, right? So they have to be so comfortable to play. So then if I already knew that their midfielders are right-footed, I have a higher chance of controlling the game, right? Cause they don't, they don't never told them this. I don't know why. When right, when midfielder, opponent midfielder has it with the right foot, when they look up, I get down the ground, move a little quick. I show them that, hey, I read your moment already. I read your mind already. I know you're about to kick this way. But once they, I do that, they turn it down because I, they already know I'm quick. They already know they need extra, extra power, extra, preciseness to pass the ball to my side. And I always play the game. I always play that game. And I move a little bit quicker than usual, especially against good players. And Gavin, they, he already knew I'm quick too. He's not trying to go behind me. He wants to get on the ball on the feet and he wants to go inside, right? Roger was a little different, but it's, it's similar, right? But I always play that game. 
you know. So the most of the players that play against me, they couldn't get on the ball enough compared to other 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 teams, right? How I defend was a little different because I'm I'm short, right? I want them to play down the ground, so that's my advantage to me. If it's bowling there, it's hard for me. But then I can always manipulate that before it happens, you know. Then I play I play that game always, and I try to cut that angle, try to cut the moment, you know. So, but that definitely my method it worked, and that's the reason why I played for a long time. But then I did that to every player, you know, mm-hmm. having a Roger whoever that played that position. Yeah, you did uh, similar. I, I would say similar to what you did to Gavin and Rogers, you did to Breck Shea in the final as well against Dallas. Yeah, I was holding in his Breck Shea's head all the time, all the time, because I know he's big. Okay, but he's faster than me probably when he gets thirty yards. But I'm not gonna give him thirty yards. I'm not never gonna give him thirty yards. That was my game. He already knew that he cannot beat me with a quickness. It's in his head, you know. So that's why I. Always make sure that he can go behind, but then when he gets in the feet, he's got to do something right away. Otherwise, I'm too quick for him. He cannot adjust his feet quick enough like I am, you know? So then, definitely that year, yeah, Brexit play, Chavez came, but they couldn't do nothing to my side. And I always ended up sending those guys to the, to the bench or to the other side, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> we talked about how, you know, the team had a very strong, um, you know, up the middle of the pitch with the strikers, Pablo and Jeff in the middle, and then the center backs. Um, what did the additions of Brian Mullen and Anthony Wallace do to help the team, particularly um, Brian on your side of the field? Brian is one of the most quiet, but the most efficient and honest hard worker I ever play with. He is so quiet, and he's such a great guy. You, if you don't talk to him, he, he will never come to you, you know, and start talking, right? But when he plays this game, he's, his passion, right? The, how much he cared, how he played, and how careful the team was just so enormous, you know? I have that similar mind that he had, but then he already won a four titles that time he already knew how to play this game every minute any player that he play against he'll never cheat he'll always work hard and i already knew when i got him i can rely on him any day any time right but i told him when i go overlap you can use me but sometime brian you you might have to put me in for the you know overlapping and all that you know but then don't worry about defending, Ryan. I'll be right behind you. I'll help you defending, you know. But then you don't spend much time defending. I'll guarantee I'll definitely I'll make sure that their opponent opponent left side, which is outside, they will never have a chance to attack us. But that that means you have more more energy when you go attack. You know? And then he had that every time he got the ball, it was just so clean. So clean, he gets something out of it, and he just never get anybody go by him, right? And then in the training, me and him got in here and there because you know I want to compete. He wants 
he's quiet guy, but he wants to compete too. You know, sometimes he in there he grabbed my shirt so hard and tried to tackle me so hard, and you know, but I, I loved it. I loved every single second of it because I knew that's the guy that I'm gonna have in front of me. Mm-hmm. If I get tired, I knew this is gonna he's gonna lift me up, you know. And if he's tired, I'm there for him. I'm gonna make sure that he doesn't have to defend that much. And when we we attack together, mm-hmm. you know, <clears throat> there were a couple, you know, long stretches during the final where Dallas had a lot of possession. But I think you know the Rapids were doing a good job of uh, you know preventing them from doing what they wanted to do. And then at times, I know um, you guys were trying to play out of the back and were having um, you know some issues with them pressing. Um, you know, Omar didn't maybe get as much of service as he wanted to. You know, like you said, Casey was working hard and you know I think similar the goal that he got in Columbus was a lot of hard work for that moment same thing for the goal that he got against Dallas what do you remember about the final and just some of the trouble that you guys had trying to execute the attack we already knew that Dallas is good on the ball right that's what what they are always right a lot of good players from South Africa South America you know good players on the ball they're confident you know and they had that that time they had really, really good players in Dallas. They've been playing together for a while and they, they already knew, right? They're going to have that, they're going to have that ball, right? But at the same time, we already knew that. And then we have a good group of guys can defend all day, you know? Yeah, we're going to lead goals, but they're not going to score two, three, four goals against us, right? And then all we got to do when we get the ball, Precise and quick as possible, right? And then utilize Jamie Smith and Brian to buy time. Maybe I can go attack. Maybe Anthony can attack. But in the end, if we can deliver the good ball, we can connect Connor and Omar. They're going to do something, you know? And Omar is going to be working constantly. Even though Ugo was, you know, our ex team member, our teammate, Ugo really knew what Omar does. So that was tough for us already. We already knew what Connor does. We already knew what Omar does, right? And the George John was there as a center back to try to, you know, stop Connor as well in the air. So that was already, it's a like for like, right? It's a, it's definitely a tough game, but just like I said, we, as long as we keep them minimize their chances and limit their scoring, limit them scoring, I knew we we're going to have our chance. And if you get something out of it, you know, we get, we can win, you know. Mm-hmm. You know, it comes to Pablo Masteroni. He was, you know, as everybody knows, I don't even have to talk about anything. But that game, I know I was mark, marking Greg Shea, and then he went to the bench, and then Chavez came to my side. Second half, he went to the bench. Right, I was dead tired. We went to overtime. I couldn't even like, I couldn't feel my hands. I couldn't even, you know, I was just dead. Just playing for that entire season and then, you know, in the cold. And then we got in the throwing. But then right before that, Kanji got in, after Kanji scored, he torn the ACL, right? And we have no more sub. And I'm looking at my times like, oh my God, I have to play this side by myself. The yeah, fact that I have a 27. But you can't just play fine and all the time, just up and down, play two position, right? And I was exhausted. And I was walk. I would try to go for, go for the, go for the ball for the throwing, right? 
and I started walking. And Pablo screamed at my knee, and I looked at him. He said, Kosuke, fucking walk slowly. Walk slow. And then I was like, I'm still fucking, he could tell in my eyes, I was fucking dying. I have nothing in me. I have nothing left, even though I'm fit. You know, I used all the energy to defend all those two, three players. And then they already knew that they tried to overload my side, right? And I was dying. And I don't know if Pablo remembers, but he said, Kosuke, there's only fucking one guy I know that can fucking do the job now. Playing two positions, it's only you. No one else in this world. Only you. And he, he goes, grow some fucking balls and then fucking get this shit done. You know? And then I, then that gave me extra juice, you know, to fight through, you know, cause I couldn't even move my legs that time. I couldn't. If I move one more time or if I sprint too quick, I already knew that my muscles going to go, you know? Yeah. And then you guys are down to nine men and that's no good. Exactly. You know? So then I'm like, okay, that's it. You know? That was definitely the longest time of my life, longest. And when Matt Pickens made that save, I'm like, oh my god, you know, I couldn't like, oh my god, this is it, we'll win this thing. I already knew when he made that save, I already knew that we we're gonna win, you know. And then that gave me extra juice as well, and then and then we got it, you know. What were your emotions when Toledo blew the final whistle? Man, that was a huge, definitely a huge relief. I just, I saw everybody just gushing in, running from bench, you know, all those guys that, you know, couldn't make the bench and just start coming down, you know, all those good guys, just good group of guys, you know, I just, just so happy, you know, I flew my parents, you know, my brother, you know, so they came down to watch a game. It just, it was, man, it was just speechless. It was, you know, but definitely it was the happiest moment. I clearly remember that. I can feel it in my hands, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I want to go back to one play. Uh, the 27th minute, you set up Connor for a throw-in, and he has that battle with Benitez in the box, and they both end up going down. What do you remember about that battle, and do you think it should have been a penalty? So Benitez, he had a long history of getting sent out, a long history of just being dirty, right? Off the field, he's fine, right? I talk to him all the time, make fun of him in Spanish and all that, but on the game day, oh my God, he already knew that, you know, say almost quick, right? I'm quick. Oh, He already knew that. So he tried to get into our brain all the time, right? Any little thing. You know, he punches people. Maybe you have to see, he punches people from behind. He punched me on my hip couple times in the game just simply he just wanted to punch me he doesn't care you know he's just like that right but i was hoping that he's gonna get sent out but then he's the final but at the same time like oh connor shit you know connor knows what benitez does connor knows what he's been doing you know and that was heating up as well you know so then definitely you know but i i definitely got scared i thought he's gonna send out too you know i thought benitez got sent out but you know sent out but yeah. Um, what uh went wrong in the 2011 season, and at least in terms of the playoffs, did it just all come down to so many injuries? Yeah, that year we just, you know, I don't know. We might use it too much luck in the 2010. I don't know. You know, 
we went to playoff and we had a little more stronger squad as well, you know, additional players and all that other than losing Kanji, you know, but we had Sun and ISE that, you know, similar caliber. But uh, that year, that was the last year of CONCACAF having four teams in one group. After that, after that year, they only had three teams in the one group. So the major well, the numbers of games that we had to play was too much. You know, I tried to rest. I couldn't rest. I couldn't. You know, we didn't have enough players. Like we had the players, but you know, Gary has a thing that he he relies on one player and he he doesn't want to change it. You know, and I I I understand that. You know, and he tried to rest me as well, but. I, I'm pretty sure I only rest probably two games in an entire year. Probably only two games. You know? And similar to Marvel, similar to all those players, you know, we, we play so many games and after you go playoff and then you finish and you, you have this, some extra stuff and then get off season and preseason right away. You know? And then, then like, they think, okay, MLS is not that long compared to European countries. Like, yeah, just imagine how many miles you're traveling. How many, they don't understand, you know, they think it's easy. I'm like, okay, good luck coming here, travel six, seven hours, right? Going to other country, play, different climate. We have like four, four different climates and then within the US, mm-hmm. you know, adding, adding, uh, playing the summer. No, no European players playing the summer. They can't do that. They, they get killed in the summer. We have to go through that. We have to go Houston, Dallas. So we have to go that year. We have to go Guatemala, Honduras, under the level heat, you know, playing those teams that, you know, 10 years from, 10 years ago from now, it's brutal out there. You see a gunshot, you hear everything, you know, the food is not right. Nothing's right. And then you got to play, you got to perform. You got to somehow you got to get a result, you know. And then definitely it wasn't easy. And then it was piling up on everybody, you know. And that year, Kansas had a really good group of players, young group of guys. And then, you know, they are fresh that year. So that definitely had a better momentum than we did. You know, they had less injuries and then we had more. And, but, you know, and that tells you it's not, it's not easy. And MLS, it's not. Mm-hmm. Um, not that many players go from MLS to Poland. You know, we talked about the cultural shock that you had coming from Japan to America. What was that year in, in Poland like for you? So, you know, I, I was gonna, I was gonna, I was thinking about playing the MLS again, but you know, what happened when New York was, we won Supporter Shield the first time ever as New York Rebel franchise. They never won a silverware when we got there, when I got there. We had a decent group of players and then we got it. Supporter show right away. And the year after that, we got, I was towards the end, I was injured, but we went to conference final. And we thought, you know, we did decent last two years. A lot of the players, I thought we we're going to get a race, right? But then they told us, all right, guys, here's the problem. No more signing DPs. That's the first thing they told us, right? The second thing told us that they're going to go for young. Right. And then we are looking around each other like, holy shit, we are 31, 32. Right. I'm going to 32 soon. They told us straight up, Hey guys, you guys did great. And then we love it. This will never die here. 
you guys left something that it's not easy to achieve. You know, went to won the supporter shield, and they went, next year went to conference final. That's not an easy thing to do in MLS. You know, and then you guys did it, and that's not gonna go anywhere. And then we're gonna put, you know, they have everything. When you go Red Bull Stadium, you see the picture of winning first supporter shield after the day one or twice again. You know, but they they say you guys create that. You know, so. But they told us that we're going to go for young. We're about to sign a lot of young players from academy. You know, we're going to start from zero, right? Because they already knew that they're not going to give us two years guarantee or a year because we're going to 33, 32. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what, that's what happened. Simply right now, the tent changing right now. I saw that transition in that moment and around 2000, beginning of 2015. I was talking to them too, but I already knew that, you know, in MLS, it's going to be tough. You know, I talked to a bunch of other teams too, but they say same thing. Yeah, you know, like what Rebel did, you know, we're going to go for Young. I already knew that, you know, that was the trend that's happening. And then, you know, I had my friend and I had a connection and I always want to try, you know, going to European country to try. And then my friend actually had connection to countries in Germany and all that. I was actually trying out for a couple of teams over there before I joined Red Bull. So I already had a connection with Poland and Germany already. So then I'm like, you know what? Why not? You know, I'm almost 32. You know, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to change it up. So then I went like one way ticket to Turkey to try it out. And I made a team and they offered me a contract. But that was the best decision I ever made. I, I met such a good people. I met such a good coach, head coach, you know, and I learned so much from him, you know, even though he couldn't speak English or even Japanese and he only spoke mm-hmm. Polish, you know, but yeah, I definitely, you know, learned so much from him and helped me as a player, helped me as a person, you know, and then gave me more passion for soccer. Yeah, but then I was staying like a middle of nowhere in Poland. You see all those bullets wound and then, uh, you know, all those walls and, you know, yeah. it was crazy. But definitely it was worth it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, last question, Kosuke, and it looks like yeah. you have other things going on. And thank you very much no, for no your time. Um, uh, what are you doing now with the Nashville SC Academy? How did you get involved with that after retiring? So then... So beginning of this year, before this all the COVID happened, I was with the first team training, you know, training the first team and then helping the younger guys, coaching younger guys. But pretty much I was playing like preseason game and all that, you know, and beating everybody in a fitness test. Right now I'm turning to 30, 37 soon. So I told Gary, I'm going to, you know, Gary Tom was like, yeah, go I think it's time. Mate. I'm like, yeah, that's fine. You know, I want to play, but. And then, you know, you got to give younger guys have a chance, just like all, the, all those guys did to me, you know. But then I told Gary, you know what? I'm going to help you guys coaching. And then if academy teams need my help, and I'll help academy, right? So then anti preseason, I was for the first team training younger guys and training with them even. If they need a number, I play with them, play with them. And then when season started, I was doing the same thing. The guys don't travel. Like younger guys or injured players that don't travel, I train them, I play with them, you know, to keep them decent fitness and get some playing time. And then academy was 
you know, about to start, right? Right before the COVID. And then, you know, Jamie told me like, yeah, Kosuke, you know, if you can help me out, that'd be great. You know, you help first team, especially younger guys. And if you can help old academy kids, you know, get, get the skill going, get the technique going, you know, but you're going to oversee everybody. You're not going to be assigned to the one team. I want you to help developing individually, right? We have coaches that coach as a group, but I want you, I want you to coach like positional specific, right? So this day you take winger, next day you take forward, next day you take a defender. So whatever, you know, Koski, you can do whatever you want, but I want you to help developing individual players, you know, because you have that eye, eyes and you, 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 you're so familiar with that, you know, and then that's why you do the first team too. So I'm like, all right, that's fine. You know, then like Gary was fine with it. And Gary's like, yeah, it goes, okay. As long as I can keep you around and the mat is here, you know, we need that, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, all right. But then after this COVID happened, uh, everybody got in lockdown. No one was training. You know, I helped first get that, like, training idea and all that. Now, Kadeen wasn't going anywhere either. And then once the first team start training, we have to go to, like, you get testing all the time. Right. But then we, we can allow only have like a limited number of staff, you know? Mm-hmm. So then Gary told me, oh, Koski, just for now, just do the, like, just do the remote, you know, help me, you know, all the stuff that I need. But other than that, you know, if you have more time, you, you can start helping the academy, like building the academy. So then we start signing more coaches and all that. And then I was starting towards the academy, but just simply get, we need more people. We have like, close to 70 kids, right? Mm-hmm. So you need more hand. So then, since I cannot really get tested every other day, so that's why I started working for Academy. You know, so then now I do uh, U13. We don't have enough coach, so I, I take over, I took over U13 head coaching job. So then that's why I do now. But then I'm trying to scout more kids younger. You know, it's U13, but I'm more focused on like U10, you know, U, even U9, you know, for now, mm-hmm. you know, because if I get them younger, it's it's better for me to get them technique right away. Yeah. You know, so that that's what I'm doing now. But then my, one of my kid got COVID tested positive, so we're in a corner. I know. But yeah, by the end, yeah, that's what I'm doing right now, but... I enjoy every second, every, every single second of it. You know, either first team or, you know, academy doesn't matter to me. Mm-hmm. You know, as long as I'm around with the soccer and as long as I can share my knowledge that I acquired and stuff that I learned, you know. But yeah, but then we have, you know, all the good, good guys, you know. We have Matt Pickens, you know, we have Gary here, Steve Guppy here, Brett Jacobs here, Jamie's here, you know. It just comes around to just working with the people that I know, family of faces that, you know, it's really, it's really good and exciting. And, you know, I know what we can do. So it's good. Well, that's, that's wonderful. Um, Gosuke, thank you very much for your time. Matt, thank you very much for um, setting uh, all of this up. Um, both of you uh, be safe in these trying times. After the Greek tragedy that was the 2011 Colorado Rapids season, Kosuke was traded to second-year MLS team Portland Timbers for an international roster slot and an undisclosed amount of allocation money in July of 2012. He went on to play in Poland, the NASL, 
and the USL Championship. The 2010 MLS Cup with Colorado and the 2013 Supporters Shield with New York Red Bulls were the two major trophies of his playing career. Kimura retired at the end of 2019 at the age of 35 after spending two years playing under Gary Smith at Nashville SC, the same coach that he won MLS Cup with at Colorado. Nashville made the jump to MLS in 2020. Kosuke's been an assistant coach for the first team and an academy coach for the boys in gold ever since. He's mentoring young players and hanging out with goalkeeper coach Matt Pickens. As far as I know, he hasn't faxed a U.S. embassy in years. On the next episode of Memories from Toronto, we speak to Kosuke's Rapids roommate, Omar Cummings. Omar discusses his Jamaican roots, his symbiotic partnership with number 9 Connor Casey, and how that 2010 team came together at the perfect time. Also, we set the record straight once and for all whether or not he got a touch on that goal against San Jose Earthquakes in the Eastern Conference Finals.